Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try and settle that? Why can't you be normal like everybody else? Well, your parents want to. The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. I wish I had the courage to follow my friends. Hey, good morning out there. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. We are broadcasting live on WLCB 101.5 FM from the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. I'm your host, Doris Nagel, and I am a crazy entrepreneur myself. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses as part of my law and consulting practice over the past 30 years, and I've also helped or started on my own at least nine different businesses, and I have made plenty of mistakes along the way. My passion is to share what I've learned and find other experts and entrepreneurs to share their advice and insights too. We have two goals here at Savvy Entrepreneur, to share helpful information and resources and also to inspire entrepreneurs to hopefully make your journey faster and easier. As always, I welcome your comments, your questions, and suggestions. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about, you have an issue or a challenge, you want to be a guest, or you just found a great resource, email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org. The show will definitely be better for your input. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. Our topic is increasing the value of your business. And with us live in our studio to talk more about that is Barry Goodman. He's a partner at SVA to talk about that. Because, honestly, what business does not want to become more valuable? Barry, thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, Doris, thank you for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to it. So... Barry has a wealth of experience. He grew up in a business-owning family, and he learned at a very early age and up close and personal some of the many challenges of running a small business. But rather than go into the family business, he became a CPA. He owned his own CPA firm for over 20 years, so he is definitely an entrepreneur himself. And then became founding partner in a firm that became one of the most successful middle market firms in Chicago. And a few years ago, Barry decided it was time for another change and became part of SVA Value Accelerators, which is a consulting and advisory firm helped on helping businesses increase value, particularly as part of a transition or succession plan. Barry, tell us a little more. I think the intro gives listeners maybe a little insight into your own journey, how you came to SVA Value Accelerators. But tell us a little bit about that. Well, it started actually one day when I received a phone call from my mother saying, we want to sell the business. And I, my response was, well, that's terrific. Let's get somebody to help us. And she said, no, you don't understand. We want to sell it, and we want to sell it today. Oh. I, said, <laughs> I said, well, is you know something wrong and she said no no we're both you know mom and dad were both healthy they were 
in their 60s. My dad was in his early 70s. And um, she said, we want to sell the business within the next 45 days. We're leaving in 45 days. And then sure enough, we sold it within 45 days. And they took off and came back three months later. And I learned years later that it wasn't really the right thing to do at the time. Probably left a lot of money on the table. Well, that was part of it. But there was also um, they did not have a properly executed estate plan. They could have probably gotten more money for the business, like you just said. Uh, after my father died, that then entered into some family conflict. I really, after that happened, I said, you know, I don't want this to happen to other people. Nothing like mistakes made to make you inspired to help other people, just like me. Well, and mistakes made, but also realizing that you're not in it alone. There's other families and other business owners that have the same problems and the same issues and have the same, basically the same issues that, that you have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. We work with families and businesses and closely held businesses to help them enhance and create the value of their business with the idea that at some point in time they will transition or maybe they're actually in a transition. And transition can be a number of different things which we can talk about. Most businesses and business owners are ready for transition. They're ready to move on to what's next, but they're really not transition ready. And there's a difference between being ready to do it and being in a position where you can do it. We'll talk a little bit about that. That's interesting. Well, every business has value drivers and value killers in their business. And those then also equate to whether or not there is a willing buyer to buy that business. Uh, it could be customer concentration. A lot of baby boomer businesses were started in the 50s, early 60s, around maybe one or two customers. And I'm always surprised, and maybe I shouldn't be after doing this for a number of years, that they have not gone out and gotten a significant amount of customers where the two main customers become immaterial. A lot of businesses, if the if they lose a customer, they could essentially go out of business. I had a I was working with a business owner that had basically four main customers, all in the automotive industry, and they manufactured a very special product for them. And they lost one customer. It hurt them bad, but then they lost the second customer, and they went out of business. And that is very typical with a lot of businesses throughout the country. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When I first started... My little consulting practice, I was advised by a couple of people who said, what you need to find is that anchor client. You need that big client to, to anchor your business. And I think that's maybe a good strategy to get started because it is much easier to work on this new business for an existing big customer than to go out and keep finding lots and lots of smaller customers who may or may not be repeat customers, but you can't stay in that mode for very long without taking on a lot of risk, I think. Exactly. In fact, that happened to me in my accounting practice. I had one client that represented probably 60% of my income, and I would do the work. I would get a check the next day. It was great. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was like a paycheck. And then I realized that 
this is not good. If they go out of business or somebody buys them and I don't come along with it, you know, I'm going to have problems. So I went to them and I said, let's get somebody else in to do the work that I'm doing and I'll take more of a backseat role wow, and that supervisory was, that role. That was very brave. That took a lot of courage and a lot of faith, a leap of faith to be able to basically make yourself redundant and not completely redundant, but there's certainly an appeal. And I think this is not just something that you and I have experienced. I think this is pretty typical where there's a great feeling of being needed and seeing the satisfaction of a client day after day. And that can be almost addicting for some people, I think, that to the point where they they have difficulty pulling themselves back out of it. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking about a client of mine who has an IT services business. He does a lot of IT help desk and web design and that sort of thing, helping people with social media accounts, the, the back end of it on their website. And he knows he's way too busy, but he just cannot pull himself back. The, everybody he hires has got faults and just can't do it right. And uh, you know the story. You've seen it before. It happens every day over and over again. Well, that's interesting because that goes to another issue that a lot of business owners have when they start their business is it's all dependent on them. The business is them. The business is them. And that's a big, you know, that's a big issue when somebody says they want to transition the business. When you really start delving into the business, the business always, I mean, it revolves around the owner of the company. And that's a business which cannot be transitioned. Therefore, value declines tremendously. So talk about that concept just a little bit. Well, if the business is the, that's this is one of the headwinds, the biggest headwind and that a business has, and uh, the biggest valued killer of a business, because if something happens to that owner, whether they become disabled or they cannot go to work the next day, for whatever reason it is, that business will go out of business unless they have systems set up and different things set up that the business can run without the owner. And our philosophy and our, you know, the, our whole business that revolves around transition readiness because we believe that transition ready businesses are more valuable. So how, how do you become more transition ready? What are the things, the key things and best practices that companies should think about? Well, there are basically three legs of this stool that we, we talk about. Okay. One is operational excellence. And operational excellence really is how is the business making decisions, not just at the top with major decisions, but how is the business making decisions throughout the entire organization? A lot of times when you talk to owners, I'll ask them, what did you think about on the way to the office today? And they thought about, well, I have to put out this fire, this fire, and this fire. And I'll say, okay, why can't somebody down the hall put out those fires for you? They're making $50 an hour decisions rather than $5,000 an hour decisions. So one of the parts of this is to put the ability of other people in the organization and the authority to make decisions and to execute certain things. Another aspect of increasing value is reducing risk. It's no different than the stock market. If you have things that are in your business that are really risky, 
if you start reducing those those risks, and we're not just talking about the known risks, but what about the unknown risks? So the known ones are a couple that we've already touched on. For example, having the owner of the business be too involved to the point where everything comes to a screeching halt if something happens to him or her. Having too much customer concentration or too few customers so that the business is too dependent on the whims and the the vagaries of whatever your customer is going through at the moment. And so I'm sure there are others. Well, technology risk. If you look at Blockbuster, for instance, they were replaced with Netflix. I mean, there's others. There's, you know, there's industry risks. There's a lot of different risks as you're thinking about your business that you need to take a look at and start reducing or addressing those and planning for those. Another one is sales and marketing. A lot of times sales and marketing, first of all, that's what drives the business, but a lot of times... if you don't have a sale, you don't have much. They ignore this. I mean, they ignore marketing, and they think the customer is just going to come. But it's really having a sales and marketing plan and understanding how the effect of sales and marketing has on the entire organization. Another one is basically planning, doing strategic planning, or what we do is we do strategic doing, which is actually, it's a, if you can look it up on the internet, strategic doing, and it really is a way of doing strategic planning, but also implementing. I can't tell you the number of times that I've done strategic plans and they stick them in the drawer, call me back a year later and say, let's do it all over again. Yeah. In fact, that was my immediate reaction is anytime I mentioned business planning, to small business people, usually they're like, well, I'll get to that when I'm not so busy. I don't really have time for putting together this big, hairy thing. And anyway, why do I need it? Well, strategic doing is different than than business planning. Strategic doing is setting a very, you know, do it very quickly. It's setting a, a program that you want to implement, but also putting the steps in place and addressing those steps every 30 days or every seven days or 15 days and we're grouping the team together and doing something the, the you know for the next period of time it sounds like business planning but done correctly it's if actions you, you can call it what you can call it a strawberry i guess but if that helps business owners actually do what they need to do i guess you can call it what you like right 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 and the, the second aspect of becoming transition ready increasing value is financial acceleration. There's a concept that we use called feed starve. When I talk to business owners and I ask them, you know, we talk about what the profit margins in in various aspects of the business, they first of all, they usually don't know what they are. But when we start delving into it and finding out, we find that they're really feeding those legacy businesses, those legacy products that brought them to where they are today. And they're not feeding the new ones, which are really giving them rates of return that are much higher than the legacy. So why not still feed the legacy business, but why not really feed those segments of the business and those product lines that are accelerating the the rates of return and the profit margins of that business? You know, it was interesting. Last week, our guests were talking about business innovation and new product launches, And they highlighted the fact, and I'm sure this is something you've seen before, which is the businesses, unfortunately, that don't think enough and spend enough time 
on innovation and creating new products and services that they're simply so busy trying to put out day-to-day fires that the new products somehow get pushed off. The whole idea of a new product or service sometimes gets pushed off to the side for way too long. That's right. They do. And in looking at this on an ongoing basis is really very important. That's really insightful. Talk a little bit about transition planning. Most business owners, when you mention transition planning, especially startup businesses and small onesie, twosie solopreneur businesses have the reaction of, look, I just got to pay the bills. I'm I'm not thinking about a transition plan. That's so far down the road. I don't, that's just not on my radar scope. What do you have to say to those business owners? Well, I have to say that at some point in time, and it could be almost any time, you are going to transition out of your business. And to start thinking about this early is very important. But I do recognize that there is a life cycle to the business and a life cycle to the family. And in the early stages of, of putting a business together, you do have to pay the bills and you do have to have income from the business because you have other things going on in your life that require income, require cash. And as those things change in your life, your business will also change. It just naturally happens. And at some point in time, whether you're in your 50s, 60s, or I've seen owners in their 70s and 80s still working in their business, it's important to think about transitioning to what's next. It's interesting you say that because I know personally of some friends and colleagues and past clients who simply aren't interested in scaling. They want to be onesies or twosies or threesies, and the whole notion of scaling is not something they even want to do. What do you have to say to those people? That is a very difficult question and a very difficult situation. They've worked all their life. They've built a nice little business that has basically been a lifestyle for them. And it's a lifestyle business. And there really isn't a lot of value to those businesses in and of themselves unless they can find somebody in a similar business that understands it and they can work out some type of an arrangement to get paid for their for their client base. Well, so there are a lot of lifestyle businesses out there, and they bring a lot of satisfaction and stability and income for the people who run them. But what's wrong with just being a lifestyle business? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with being a lifestyle business. The biggest issue you have is what is that asset that you're building worth? And what do you, you know, what can you do at least five, ten years before you are ready to retire to reap some of that benefit? And it could be either a family member that could take over that business. It could be a friend. It could be another owner of a similar business that could step in and provide you with some of the benefits of what you've built. It's interesting, though. I think there are quite a few solopreneurs and small business people who almost would just rather let the thing die. It's them. The business is them. And so the idea of transitioning their baby to someone else, it's almost like they'd rather kill kill their business, let it die, and say, I've made enough in my life than 
to try to tackle some of the issues you're talking about. You're right, it, and, but it's and it's sad. I mean that they because they they develop a reputation, and that business will just go away. And there's there's even businesses that are going away that that are not transitionable because of what we talked about. Some of the value killers, and they're just closing because there's no there's not a second generation or a next generation to take it over. And this is a this is a very serious issue. The baby boomers are turning 65 at the rate of 10,000 every day. That's quite a few. Which is quite a few. And probably 20% or more own businesses. And if you look at economic development throughout the country in some of these small communities, a lot of the small communities are dependent on one or two companies to basically employ the entire, entire community. And if they just close their doors, the economic effect of this is devastating. So in other words, people who are entrepreneurs or small businesses don't always think about the implications to the ripple effects, basically, the the value that they bring to the economy, the follow-on jobs, the, the jobs of the people maybe who work for their company, but also companies in related industries that depend on them. Oh, sure. I mean, it was interesting. I, um, when I was with my CPA firm, I had one of my employees come in and talk. You know, we were just talking and she said, she said, it must be great to be a partner in a firm like this. I said, it is great, but it's a lot of pressure. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, we have 50 people in the firm. Let's say the average family is four. So that's 200 lives and we're responsible for 200 lives. But you're responsible for more than that. Exactly. But that's just the minimum of the people that work for us. So if you think about the responsibility that you have as an owner or an entrepreneur and you start employing people, it's a big responsibility. And I personally feel that if that business is transition ready, it's more valuable, it's more viable, it will succeed. And you can then help mitigate that responsibility. So let's go back to the issue of being transition ready. You mentioned a few things you need to do. Talk a little bit more about how to become more transition ready. Taking and looking at your business as a an ecosystem where you have these different aspects of your business that need to all work together because they all do work together, whether it's the the, the financial part, whether it's the uh, with manufacturing or productivity, and even if you're a service business, you're still a manufacturing company in many respects. All these different aspects tie together. And to understand what effect each of them have and how sales and marketing, for instance, is important to understand what sales are going to come through and how you're going to execute that and how that really has an effect upon, if you're a manufacturing company, how you can get product through the manufacturing process efficiently and reduce the risk of, of doing that. But looking at the different aspects of your business and seeing how they integrate with each other and planning that and really um, improving each, each, each and every part of it. So I'm sure you've got a story or two of businesses that changed some of the ways they did things to become more transition ready and to become more valuable. 
some of the stories that I have are. You can do it on a no-name basis, of course. Well, I am going to do it on you a no-name basis. Circumstances <laughs> to protect the the innocent or the guilty, as the case may be. Well, some of the of the disasters we can talk about for a second. Well, those are always fun. Yeah, yeah which is fun. I worked with a company that uh, was started about 30, 35 years ago. Typical right. boomer company, typical entrepreneurial company. These two gentlemen were working for another company, and they saw an opportunity to start their own business. So they decided to uh, start their own business. One of the two quit their job at the main company, and they then developed the machinery and developed the processes to produce these boxes. Okay, we'll just call them boxes. And they ran out of money before they produced one box. And they were so dedicated to doing this that they would sleep on the floor of the shop every night and they would work, you know, till one, two in the morning, sleep, and then one would go to, to his full-time job and the other would continue working, putting this together. Well, we discovered that they did not talk to each other for 25 years. They worked together great for 10 and didn't talk to each other for 25 years. And one handled production and one handled sales, marketing, and everything else. Well, they hired us to either get them together or to break them apart. And we had to break them apart because it was just the families just were so far apart. But my, how, my point how in the world did they even run a viable business? Well, that, that, that was something that I was really, you know, it's that I was, actually. oh, it's very remarkable. And it was very successful business. They bought all these, they bought properties together and, I mean, they really built quite a bit of wealth together in spite of the fact they didn't talk to each other. And we were hired to break them apart, and that's what we did. But my point is is that really communication when you're in a partnership as an entrepreneur is so important. And if there are issues that come up to address those issues head-on directly. Another situation that we're currently working on is a company where they were just stuck and when we did discovery and we found that the owner was really a command and control owner and a command and control owner with today's workforce does not work. So we are working with the owner and with the employees to help them understand how to work together and collaborate together. Ooh, and teach an old dog a new trick. Teaching an old dog new tricks, but the old dog is willing to be taught new tricks. Now you do have baby boomers that say you can't teach this old dog new tricks. Well that really isn't true. You have to if you want to learn the new tricks, but there are a lot of owners that don't want to learn new tricks. So how do you figure out whether an owner really wants to or doesn't want to? Cuz everybody will say of course. I I'm interested in that. There's some deep deep discussion that has to take place. So yeah. what does that look like? Very difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's very difficult conversations to have, and it requires a special skill to do that. So what are the kinds of questions you end up asking them, and what do those conversations look like sometimes? Well, a lot of them is basically have the owner tell stories and have the employees tell stories in front of the owner of really what goes on. Okay. Ooh, that might be a little painful. That's very owner. painful because we ask the owner to sit in the back of the room and keep his mouth shut. Which some probably cannot do. When they start talking, we tell them no. Okay, we stop them in their tracks because 
they have to listen to what really is going on in their business. And if they want to accelerate value, the employees and the management team really has a lot to say. And they're the ones that really do this. They do the hard work. And that may be the first time some of these people are actually really hearing. Hearing it. And there has to be full agreement in advance, I want to say, that in advance that it's a safe room. Because if it's not a safe room, then you won't get anybody talking. So there's a lot of agreements that have to take place, and people have to be honest with each other to make this work. I'm sure those are some of the most interesting conversations that you can imagine. Oh, they're fascinating. And it's fascinating to watch the these baby boomer business owners look at, you know, they have to really bite their tongue and not roll their eyes and be willing to listen. So what are some of the kinds of things that employees say that they're not expecting? Uh, that they get derailed, that the employees do things, they just do them, and the owners maybe not even know about it. In the sense that what I'm meaning is procedurally and things like that, nothing that will hurt the business. But it's it's fascinating to see some of the uh, some of the issues that come out. Well, I know your firm, although it focuses on transition planning, is really about value acceleration. Hence the name. Is there is there a difference there? When we do value acceleration, we're really taking out, we're we're eliminating the value killers. And we are accelerating the value drivers in the business. We're not doing all, we're not doing the work. We're guiding them through it. The, the company needs to do the work themselves. So we're guiding them through that. And we are basically with helping them implement best practices in their business to accelerate that value. What are some of the key drivers of value acceleration? Well, we've mentioned some of them. If we take, for instance, sales and marketing, Sales and marketing are, first of all, two different functions. Uh, marketing drives, supports sales. But we will help them implement best practices in marketing and best practices in sales. With financial acceleration, it's, this, is a, this is a really key thing to driving value, is this feed-starve analysis concept that I talked to you about. If you start driving the rates of return and the profit margins on those products that really have the future and can support what goes on in the future for the company that will accelerate value and continue with, you know, driving the, the uh, sales and marketing of the, and the profit margins of the legacy products, but to really focus on what are those new products that are going to go, that are going to move the company forward. Do most businesses even know which products are most profitable when they sell them? They don't know which ones are. So some of them I'm surprisingly do, but they can figure it out. But do they track it? Usually they don't. I'm still astounded by, you know, companies that are in job shops, for instance, that will take on work for lower margins just to keep their people busy. Well, they're actually losing money on those. I used to have an old boss who, uh, the head of the company, used to say, salespeople, You've got to stop thinking like any sale is a good sale. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. What are some of the other value accelerators? The leadership concentration in the company. It's not just with the with the owner, but it is with the management team. Is there backup with the management team that if somebody gets sick or is no longer with the company? Documenting procedures, documenting how things are done in the company. 
Now, there's one that, in my experience, even mid-sized companies are often not very good at. No, they're not. And we use a methodology called value stream mapping where we can actually map the processes, and there only can be 14 processes on the page. There can be a lot of sub-processes, but there really are very few main processes they have. And when they can understand they're doing certain things twice or three times within the process, that can actually, by visualizing it, they then see that, oh, we can eliminate this and eliminate that, and things become more efficient. And we're not talking about doing a time study. I mean, we're talking about basically just understanding how the paper flows, how a sales flows through the process, how a product flows through the manufacturing or through the, the service side of the business, how things flow through. I'm sure it helps identify where key information is in certain people's heads, which presents difficulties, even if you're not thinking about transition planning, because key employees do leave. They can leave at any time. And so the knowledge that's in Susie or Bob's head, for example, can be a, a real challenge for a business to work around if Susie or Bob suddenly something happens to them or they leave to take a different job. Well, you bring up a very interesting, huge issue, and that is the transfer of knowledge with the, that the owners have. A lot of owners have knowledge in their head that if, if they leave that business, even if they have a, a staff of people, it's not just a solo entrepreneur, they have that knowledge in their head. And how do you transfer that? So what are the kinds of knowledge that might be in their head that could be a limiting factor that they're not even realizing? Well, knowledge of customers. In the early stages of forming a company, the entrepreneur is, they're going out and getting the sales. They have all the relationships. They are designing the product. And a lot of this is in their head. Those relationships, yes, they can be transferred. But what about the, the, the primal knowledge that they have? The history they have. Right. The knowledge of the kids' names, maybe, of the customer and the fact that they go to certain schools or you know when their birthdays are or what kinds of hobbies they have that make that personal rapport so easy and comfortable and hard for someone else to step into. Is that, is that what you're alluding that's, to? That's part of it, but who within the company is important what the product line is, what their future is. Looking at your customers, not understanding what they're doing today, but understanding what your customers' plans are. So that you can really add value to the customer as opposed to, I see this, they do this, our, our widget fits in here. It's a, it's a more holistic way maybe of looking at a customer and how to add value to them. Well, exactly. And also, is this customer pursuing one of their customers on a particular product that you can supply? And it gives you the knowledge to say to your customer, first of all, well, we can help you with this, which helps their, you know, which helps them. And then you can also look at what your plans are because your customers, they have their, their thumb on the pulse, so to speak, as to what's going on in their industry. All right, so customer knowledge clearly is something that often is in the CEO or founder's head or maybe even a couple of key people in key management. What are some of the other kinds of things that typically are in a founder's head 
that they may not even be thinking about. Things in their own business, legal documents or even financial information can be in their head. Maybe a relationship with a bank. Or relationship with a the bank. Banker. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge, important piece of the puzzle is the relationship with the bank. And that's also to get you to a point of being transition ready and accelerating the value of your company because you have those resources available to you. Yeah, and my, my experience too is that the history, the company history, often resides in the owner's head because they're the ones who have been with the business for a long period of time. And that may not sound all that important because people would say, well, that was the past. <coughs> and yet that institutional knowledge sometimes helps make sure that certain mistakes aren't repeated because there is that institutional knowledge. Exactly. And institutional knowledge is quite important. I think you've touched on this, but how do you and your firm go about helping businesses? And maybe the first question is, how do you determine whether a business is really ready to benefit from your services? Well, we look at businesses in three different categories. One category is those business owners who have maybe received an offer in their company, maybe there's an illness and illness that is coming about, or something has happened when they need to take action in a very short period of time, three, six, nine months or a year. And those, you know, they're basically have no interest in accelerating value. Well, there are limited opportunities within that time frame to Absolutely. really do some of the things you've talked about already. Absolutely. They're they're limited within that time frame. So we will help them if they received an offer, we'll help them evaluate that offer. If they do not know what their options are, we'll help them figure out what their options are. Or there it's other services and other things that we do for those owners that are really, we, we call them triggers because they're triggered. For example? Well, somebody comes to them. I'm working with a company now, the owner of this, uh, of this small service company. They have 10 employees. He wants to get out of the business, and he has a couple of employees who are interested in buying it. So we're helping him and the employees develop a plan for the employees to take it over and for the and to accomplish the goals of the of the owner. So he's in a short period of time. But he's lucky he's got He's lucky he has He's got people waiting in the wings who are interested in taking over the business. That I'm sure is not always the case. It's not always the case, but a lot of times with smaller companies it is especially in service businesses, it is probably the best choice. That we we have found it's the best choice. And then we have those owners that are two to five years away that really want to accelerate value. Or they're stuck. So a lot of times companies are just their sales are stuck, their gross profit margins are stuck. They have people leaving. Something's going on in that business which is causing them some issues. And we call those this this group pivoters because they're they're pivoting at this point. We start with a uh, with a deep dive discovery. We don't call an assessment. We call it discovery, and we use behavioral interviewing for that. And from that discovery, we then can determine where they need to go. And we have a series of seven sprints that we work with, starting with... Sprints? We call them 90-day sprints because they're 90 days. Okay. So we call them sprints. Um, I got I got this mental image of the <laughs> business owners out there on the track and you at the stoplight, but I don't think it's quite it's quite what you mean. Well, in a way, it, it, it could be because we start with what we call decision dynamics, helping them make better decisions faster. 
and then we help them make better decisions faster throughout the entire organization. Hmm. It's not just with the owners, but the entire organization. And then we get into productivity. We get into we get into risk reduction, financial acceleration, sales, marketing, and 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 talking about leadership, which ties everything together. How long does a process like that take? That takes uh, two years to go through the process. Wow. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's expensive, but it's, it takes two years, and we we have seen where it can accelerate values significantly within the company and sustainability of that business. And we've had owners that have have gone through it and said, you know what, I don't want to transition. I want to keep this business because now they have a business which does not rely on the owner that they can take a vacation that they with. can take vacation with that they that they're taking an investment perspective on their business. It's an investment in their portfolio. Well, they can let go of some right. of the things, which is a huge burden probably off of some of the owners. Well, it's, it's some of the owners, but also it takes an investor perspective on it. Cause well, if, that, but that's what I mean. If yeah. you're an investor perspective, it's kind of the difference between you live in a house and it's your kind of your nest. You want to make it the way you want it. Versus I own these pieces of real estate and I need to make financial decisions that are less emotional in terms of making those pieces profitable. Mm -hmm. So you've helped them step back emotionally, I think, in in order to really take that investment perspective. Well, that's correct. And they're they're getting involved in other things. They're getting involved in things that prepare them for life after business. Which is a whole separate uh, separate issue is is life after business, and the third category of owners that we have found are those owners that are seeking more education, and we have developed what we call the Ready for Next Academy, which which allows the owners to go through a program that they can do a lot of this work themselves through online learning and also with the support of a facilitator and others that can help them through the program and accelerate value. Talk a little bit more about that because I could envision that being pretty appealing to a lot of entrepreneurs. Most small business people, in my experience, are a fairly stubborn lot, right? And they're pretty independent or they wouldn't mm-hmm. be doing what they do. And I think there's there's a very natural tendency to say, think and say, I can do this myself. So it seems to me your learning academy helps those people and might be very appealing to those people who say, well, I might, might, maybe I'll need a little guidance, a little coaching, but I know I can do this myself. Well, it's, it's interesting. When I, we start, first started developing this program, I, I developed it to have what we call mastermind groups or groups of owners come together in a room for a full day and learn these purely educational. Kind of like a vistage group. Kind of like a vistage group, but purely educational with a facilitator and bringing in guest speakers that will talk about action. That's one of the things that we, one of our mantras is we must be action-oriented. And talking with owners, they really didn't want to devote the full day to it, plus it got kind of expensive. So we have developed, we're in the process of, of, of producing webinars on the various topics of becoming transition ready. So they can go through a program from beginning to end. There'll be anywhere from, I think, seven to ten modules that they will go through. And they could do it at their leisure. They can do it in a year. They can do it in 
six months. They can do it in two years. So what do some of these modules look like? Well, it's, it follows the same thing as our as our, our sprints that we talked about. We start with, we have one module on what does it mean to be transition ready? What are those components, those things that they need to need to do in order to become transition ready? At the same time, they're taking a self-assessment of their business. So they're able to then look at what are those areas, and they have to be honest with themselves, what are those areas that they need to really focus on? And then, we're, then we get into modules on making better decisions, sales and sales. We have one on marketing, a separate one on financial acceleration. So they're able to really self-learn these at their own pace. Each webinar is going to be an hour, and they'll be supported by a facilitator or a hotline that they can call in or write in questions, and we will answer those questions for them. And there's a lot of other resources. It's not like going back to school, but you have to have an interest in really looking at, okay, these are the areas I need to focus on in the business to increase the value. And you also, at that point, you're increasing profits, you're increasing revenues, and you have a business which, when you get done, is could be trans, you know, transition ready. I'm sure the process is, as you've alluded to, not cheap to go through. Do you have any kind of ROI numbers on how this helps a business or examples of the kind of return they've gotten from going through this process? We say the returns are anywhere from three to ten times the fees that you're going to pay. That's pretty astounding. It is astounding. And I mean, why would you not do that if that's the case? And we have we have some companies that have gone through this and then that have sold that this has been documented. So if they really implement what we tell them, they have a good chance at significantly enhancing the value of their company. Barry, we're almost out of time, but before we let you go, if listeners are interested in learning more about your process or how to increase the value of their business, how should they reach you? They can reach me, uh, reach us through our website, which is www.buildvaluetoday.com, or they can email me at barry at buildvaluetoday.com, or call our office as 312-626-1820. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for being our guest on the show today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. That's our show for this week, folks. Again, thanks so much for listening, and especially to our studio guest today, Barry Goodman from SVA Value Accelerator. You can find more helpful information and resources on my law website, forsythialaw.com, or my consulting site, which is globalocityservices.com. And there's a library there, free blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources. Finally, don't forget to email me with any suggestions or just to shoot the breeze. I'd love to hear from you, dnagel at lakesradio.org. Now, there's no show next week, but be sure to join us the following Saturday when our guest will be Wendy Bash from BCU. That's a local credit union. She's been a lender for many years, in not only at BCU but other places, and she will be here to provide some inside tips on what lenders really look for and how to position yourself when you need money. So don't miss it. And until then, folks, happy entrepreneuring.